Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Powner. I should say the recently left Government Accountability Office's Director of IT Management Issues. David, this is an exit interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, thank you, Jason. I'm also joined by my colleague, the extraordinary Tom Temin, the host of The Federal Drive. Tom, this is my first co-hosted Ask the CIO. Thank you for joining me. And it's a big honor to be with you, Jason. This That's, is fantastic. It's really my honor. So, But uh, Dave, we have worked with you over the years. I think Tom and I have, have known you and, and questioned you and followed you for much of the past, your entire 16 years at GAO. So, of course, it's very sad, uh, for us at least, that you're leaving. But uh, so discuss why now. Discuss uh, as much as you can about your new position at, at MITRE. Basically, why now is, you know, there was a, an opportunity that came along with the MITRE Corporation. I was very excited about, Jason. I feel like I can still work in some of the areas that I've worked uh, in over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I want to make a few comments about GAO. I mean, it's a great institution with great leadership. I'm going to uh, definitely miss the, the organization, the people, and what they do for the American taxpayers. So I have nothing but positive things to say about GAO and want to really thank them for all the opportunities. In terms of the MITRE position, you know, I will be uh, working on strategic uh, planning and partnering initiatives. There's a press release out there describing that position. I'll kind of leave that one at that. All right. Very good. And we'll learn more as they come through. So how did this come up as in terms of your MITRE position? Did someone call you? Did you call them? Did you get this like, hey, you know, 16 years is a long time. I got a little bit of an itch. You know, I have good relations with industry, so at times I do get approached, have been approached with different positions, and I've known the MITRE leadership team out there for years, you know, when El Grasso was CEO and, you know, now with Jason Pravidakis. So, well, you know, it's just an organization like many others that I've kept in touch with uh, over the years. would like to know about your federal career, maybe review what you've done at GAO and even before that, or your career in general. This is my second stint at GAO, and I've been here for 16 years, and you know, there's, you guys are well aware of all the FATARA work and work at the Census Bureau and IRS and NOAA satellites, and I know, Tom, we've talked about a lot of those things over the years on your show, and Jason's seen many of those hearings, but I did do an initial stint at GAO for almost 10 years, so collectively I've been at GAO about 26 years. And that initial stint, I got to work on some really cool things there, uh, weather service modernization, FAA's air traffic modernization. I did a lot of DOD work back in that, that time, too, looking at, like, missile warning systems in Cheyenne Mountain. And so I did that for a while. So then I left GAO for the private sector in the telecommunications arena for a while. So this is, you know, my second stint at GAO. I really believe in the mission. And both times at GAO have been a very positive experience, I think. And I was able to work on some really neat things and make some, you know, uh, decent accomplishments in terms of fur furthering uh, technology in the government. And do we have any idea who is going to take over the directorship of IT management issues? Because it's really a big ticket item for the government, uh, you know, even after you're gone, it's still $90 billion. You know, there's some very capable people here, some names you're going to probably know. So, uh, you know, Carol Harris on the IT team who does a lot of work at DHS and DOD will be picking up the majority of the FATAR work. Nick Marinos, who covers our security, our cyber work, along with Greg Wilshusen, will be picking up some other areas like the census area and that type of thing. So I think between, you know, Carol and Nick, uh, GAO is in very, very capable hands. When you talk about the private sector, I mean, the private sector is a lot different than the government in the sense of at GAO, you kind of have this oversight role. You have this role of really getting into deep and, and, and looking at issues. 
is the miter roll, is that what attracted you really to the miter roll? Is it, there's some similarities there that you can kind of still not just get you know, knee deep, but really get get waist deep and, and shoulder deep into different issues. And I think that's that's what was attractive for you. Yeah, there's there's some similarities with the work. And at times, you know, you're even a little closer to the solutions there. That's always attractive. You know, the pace of the private sector is something that always, you know, I enjoyed it when I was my first stint in the private sector. I'm going to enjoy it uh, at MITRE, I'm sure. Although I will say, you know, at GAO, when you're heavy in the testifying season and doing a lot of testimonies, we can move pretty quick, too, here at GAO. And that's probably some of the times I enjoyed the most at GAO is when, you know, there's testimonies and the pace is really fast and there's just a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, we're not just sitting back doing a report for, you know, nine to 12 months and, you know, putting that up. There's a lot of overlapping work and a lot of, te- you know, testimonies that really that pace is what's really uh you know, something I think the most folks get a lot of energy off of. And Dave, you mentioned 26 years one way or another with GAO. That's exactly how long I've been in Washington covering and watching federal IT issues. And, you know, to those of us that have been watching this stuff for a long time, often at the hearings and in the GAO reports and in the different conferences, it seems like the same issues come up every generation of IT. Maybe they have different words, but they're very similar issues. Do you think the government has made progress in the last 26 years, the last 56 years since they've had information technology to uh, underlie pretty much all government activities. Since, you know, 2010, if I look back to like the, just around the 2010 time frame, I think there's been really some tremendous progress. And not that it's perfect, but, you know, one example is uh, the IT dashboard. You know, the transparency of federal spending and a CIO rating on, you know, systems and investments. Uh, Jason, you know, you covered a lot of the uh, the era back when there was a lot of uh, hearings on the Senate side in front of Coburn and Carper. And, you know, Karen Evans was the federal CIO and OMB was putting together watch lists and high risk lists. And, you know, we were trying to identify, you know, what are the most important projects for the nation and where's the money going and that type of thing. I think the transparency with the IT dashboard that Vivek Kundra put in place, I think that was tremendous progress. Now, do I think the accuracy of the data there needs to improve? Absolutely. But I think that transparency mechanism is excellent. I do think the position of CIOs in the federal government has really been kind of elevated and all the attention. You know, Jason, your show on Ask the CIO, but look at everything that Congress is doing recently with the scorecard and everything. I think there's a lot more attention to how important this role is. So I think there's been good progress there. Uh, and as an example, I mean, look at someone like a Dana Deasy at DOD joining, you know, the federal ranks after a very successful private sector career. I mean, that th- those are those are good stories and good things that need to happen. You know, in the acquisition arena, we can sit here and talk about we still have failed acquisitions, right? I recently testified on a Coast Guard electronic health record acquisition, but in terms of you know, smaller incremental approaches to acquisitions, tremendous progress. I do think we buy more than we build compared to, you know, looking back over time. You know, the electronic health record is a good example with the VA and DOD. And then on the ops side of the house, I I think, you know, uh, not that long ago, we really just focused on IT acquisitions and not enough on the operational side. So between data centers and reducing duplicative business systems, and then also, too, the legacy, these old legacy systems, there's a lot more attention and focus on that. So I think, you know, in all those areas, there's been some pretty solid improvements. 
You mentioned uh, Karen Evans. It makes me laugh a little bit because we used to, when Tom and I worked at uh, Government Computer News years ago, the big story back then was uh, the kill list. What was on the kill list? Mitch yeah. Daniels, the OMB director at the time, had a kill list. And Karen would be like, no, no, we don't call. That's it's not a name we use. And, and finally, I think it came out when those hearings that you, you testified at that there was actually a, if you will, uh, high risk list and, and, and such. Let's talk maybe a little bit about that transparency. There's been a lot of back and forth between OMB and GAO over the years over the federal IT dashboard. There was a, maybe even OMB saying, we don't even want to do this. Why do you think the data is so hard? Is it the CIOs n- not collecting it, or is it something else? You know, initially, when they asked for a CIO rating, you know, what happened? You're, if you recall, Jason, you know, Vivek Kundra, it was a beta version. They had 30 days to put all the investments up on the dashboard, and the CIOs had to do a rating. And many CIOs said, told Vivek, hey, I can't do that because I'm not responsible for these things. And he said, well, you should be. Go, you know, let's go get information on it. So, you know, that's an area that has, uh, I think we've improved in terms of the CIOs having more visibility on the IT spend and also, you know, direct accountability. But I do think as an example, I will tell you this. I I think like the IT dashboard, it's all about accountability, right? We got a question initially, should or should the CIO's picture go next to the investment? We said, absolutely. I actually think there ought to be two pictures next to the investment. Not only the CIO is responsible for the delivery of the system to help deliver the system, but where's the business owner that we're actually putting the system in place for? I'd love to see two pictures. You know, one time we had the uh, prime contractor was prominently displayed on the dashboard, and that kind of went away. So there's been... Uh, you know, we've had kind of starts and stops on the dashboard. I do think, though, where the money's being spent, if it was a more systems focus, not just investments, as an example, like I think VA rolls their stuff up so high, you can't even tell like where the electronic health record is on the dashboard. So there's plenty of room for improvement, but I do think the transparency, you know, is fairly solid. And, and as an example, sometimes even when there's not great data on the dashboard, Jason, it still tells a story. And I, I, and I always uh, point to this example. When healthcare.gov failed, what did it show on the dashboard? It was green, right? And it was green for a number of months leading up to the failed deployment of healthcare.gov. But back in April that year, it was green. I think it was green in March, April, it went to flaming red, and then May back up to green. So someone knew something back in the you know the uh, April time frame of that year the, of the deployment, planned deployment, that something was wrong. So it's just kind of interesting when you look at the data, not that it was accurate, but it kind of told a story. And I, what we use that uh, dashboard data for a lot is to really kind of tell the story. And I will say this in terms of the accuracy, this is probably one of the more controversial areas on the Patara scorecard. You know, so if you get all, if you're all green on the dashboard, you get an F, and if you're all red, you get a A. Okay, so is that right or not? And that's been heavily debated. But I will say, when we started doing the IT dashboard, 24% of the dollars on the dashboard were yellow or red. Today, about 60% are yellow or red. So the question is, do we think about 60% of the dollars we spend on major IT investments is you know, moderate to high risk, that's probably more accurate than only a quarter of the dollars. And that's what we need. We want the accuracy on there so that we can manage those uh, systems and investments appropriately. All right. Good stuff, David. There's plenty of follow-ups there. But first, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, dive into Fatara and some of the other things you said. My guest is David Palliner. 
the GAO's Director of IT Management Issues. I'm Jason Miller. My guest is also Tom Temin for this special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Pounder, GAO's Director of IT Management Issues. I'm Jason Miller. Am I, am I joined today by? Tom Temin here from the Federal Drive, and good to join a show with you. All right. Thank you, Tom. It's great to have you here. And uh, so, Dave, you were talking about Fatara. Tom wanted to jump in. One of the questions I had for you is something we've talked about on my show. I know you've talked you know, with Jason and and that is the intractability of legacy systems. So many large agencies have all these millions of lines of code. They talk about how they want to get around it and modernize, and yet decade after decade, those systems crank on. And I know that you, you have some ideas on why that's the case and how they can finally get past the maintenance and obsolescence of those systems. That's one of the big, big challenges that remains, right? I think, you know, on the operational side of the house, we've, done, we've had great improvements on the infrastructure with data centers and on the business systems. But the big difficult thing to do is the mission-critical legacy apps that have been there forever. And there's a, I think there's a couple reasons why we got to where we're at today. And one is, you know, there's this mentality that if it works, you know, don't touch it. And there's also this mentality if it works – and, you know, the average tenure of most CIOs is about two years. Is that enough time to really tackle the problem? And as you both know, I mean, many times with this tenure issue, everyone comes in and they have these great plans and strategies and they pick the low-hanging fruit and get accomplishments with the low-hanging fruit. But the, the higher-hanging fruit are these big legacy applications that take time and then there's someone new in, and there's a new plan, and we don't implement completely. And I think that's a big, big part of the reason they work, so we're not going to touch them. And if we touch them, there's a lot of risk with it, and I'm not around that long to really tackle the problem. I thought it was fascinating. I know, Tom, you and I talked about the IRS issue with the CADE system and you know, trying to replace the individual master file. When you look at what IRS tells us it will take, it's really not a lot of money. It's $85 million a year for five years, but what they need is they need about 50 or 60 uh, programmers, and that seems to be more of the problem. But that does not seem to be some insurmountable effort, a five-year initiative at $85 million a year when you have a $2.5 billion budget there. So I don't think money's the issue. I just think it's the it's sticking to a plan and having you know folks that really drive that uh, decommissioning of the legacy systems and replacing it with modern systems with modern languages. Dave, let's look at that report for a second because there's been, as you said, got a lot of attention. And even now, here we are, you know, two years later, people still mention it. What surprised you about that? What stood out to you of all the work you've done over the last, you know, 16 years? Yeah. It was was that the was that your favorite report, if you will? Well, you you know what. That, that report did surprise me because I knew there was a lot of old mission-critical stuff out there. The magnitude of, you know, how much there was was a surprise. That was one big surprise. And the other big surprise was, you know, I knew, like, we knew at IRS they had this Cade project that was kind of limping along. But some of them really didn't have an associated project, you know, to replace it. And that that was what was so surprising to me is that you had these old legacy things out there that, you know, and some of them is, you know, hardware that's no longer under warranty and old languages that we were tr having a hard time finding, you know, programmers that knew those languages. 
And, you know, there were security vulnerabilities associated with these things. And, I, and it was interesting because a lot of folks were always say, well, you know what, they're so old and, you know, they're stovepiped and they're not networked and there aren't security vulnerabilities. Well, in fact, a lot of them were maintained remotely or accessed via desktop, so there were security vulnerabilities. And that was the big surprise on that report. But that, that clearly was one of, one of my favorite reports, and I think it was one that got the appropriate attention because it's a big issue for our federal government. It was nice when uh, Chairman Hurd held up the five-and-a-quarter floppy disk and reminded everyone, remember when we used to use these? Well, well, there are people who still do. Did you get a lot of pushback from CIOs on that report? What was the reaction from as you went out to the agencies and started collecting the data? You know, not really. I mean, I think um, – you know, I, I think the airing of the issue is a good thing. And the other thing that uh, with that report that I think was the, you know, the split between the development money and the O&M money, you know, the, the percentage, whether it's 75, 25 or 80, 20, it's, the percentage isn't good. But the problem is, is when you trend that, I think that report did trend that split over time. You know, the trend continues to get worse. So I just think it was a good eye-opener for everyone to look at the magnitude of the problem and that we were continuing to dump more money in the O&M bucket and less in the DM&E bucket. And, you know, that's where these things where we can turn the corner. I know everyone wants the central fund associated with MGT to modernize more in the whole bit, and that's the big debate right now. But I do think those working capital funds where you can plow some money into savings from data centers and duplicative systems and the like, you know, will help kind of turn the corner with uh, some additional funding going to, uh, you know, the development side of the house. And you've mentioned the CIOs and Fatara and the leadership question that is ultimately at the source of a lot of the problems with IT the government has had. And uh, CIOs have been likened in many ways to people standing in a cemetery. There's lots of people underneath, but you're not sure they can hear what you're saying. And do you feel that CIOs are where they need to be in terms of the authority? I know that's a topic even uh, in, in recent weeks that's come up. In fact, we just issued a report that really kind of dissected all the CIOs and where they're at with tenure and their responsibilities. And But here's where I think we're at is I do think we're getting better. I do think some CIOs are being elevated. Uh, you know, reporting to the top can't hurt. So that's a good thing. And I think Chairman Hurd and, and uh, Representative Connolly and that whole crew there at OGR have done a lot with the scorecard to kind of really push the importance and elevate the CIO. It's probably something looking back over the years. I mean, that's been on the books and a requirement since Klinger Cohen 96. And, uh, you know, the one thing that, you know, when I look back over the years, is that something that we should have pushed even harder? Probably. I do think Congress is doing a good job pushing that. The other thing, though, with those CIO authorities, the question is, do they have the relationships with CFOs and chief acquisition officers that we would want where it's kind of a cohesive team? And I would say the answer to that is that we don't have that as, as solid as it should be across all agencies. I do think TBM will help with the relationship with the CFOs. You know, this little provision we had in FATARA that CIOs are to approve major IT contracts, what that was really about was breaking down the wall between the CIO shop and the chief acquisition shop. So it's more of a unified team there. And we know about the IT contracts that are being signed uh, and everything. And it's not just about reducing duplicative things so we don't sign a desktop contract here that could be combined with another one in another part of the organization. But it's also being aware of all those things so that we have the right governance over those acquisitions, you know, when we go forward with some of the big, big 
uh, development projects. When you guys look at the CIO authorities issue, and maybe you also can, can tag back to that recent uh, report you guys just issued, do you get a sense that it's a culture thing within the agency? You take VA as one example. Their CIO is an assistant secretary, politically appointed, Senate confirmed. And if you take someone like HHS, and we're not picking on Beth or anything, but that's a very federated agency, not Senate confirmed, not politically appointed, somebody without maybe a, a ton of traditional power. Is that the issue or is there something more? Is it the really just if the deputy secretary and secretary make it a priority, it becomes a priority? Where do you see it? I think it needs to be a priority at the top. And, you know, it's, that's, it's such an interesting debate, Jason, right? Because I've, I've uh, you know, HHS, I think actually Beth is buried at HHS. And I know I've had these discussions with folks at HHS, you know, who are between her and the depth secretary and you know, you can make this argument that, you know, we're all on the same page in the whole bit, but if those guys leave tomorrow, are we all on the same page or not? I mean, this came up at one of the FATAR scorecard hearings with SBA and Maria wrote, and, you know, everyone said that, you know, Maria has all the authority she could have, and, and I believe it. I think she's a very, one of our, one of a very solid CIO, and, but the thing is, if she or, you know, the other person who's sitting at the table, if they leave, uh, we're going to be back to ground zero. So I do think SBA was one of the four that did end up changing their reporting structure after that hearing. So I just think it's very important so that out of the gate. The other thing that I think is very important is not only with the here and now, but I think with attracting really qualified CIOs to the federal government, if you're positioned appropriately and not buried in an organization and you have the right authorities with that positioning, could we attract even more qualified CIOs to the federal government? I think yes. So I think there's a longer-term benefit to this elevation of the CIOs with the attraction of even more qualified people. Dave, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to pick on you for a second because I feel like the saying, could we attract more qualified CIOs, is is maybe a little bit of a uh, taking a shot at the current ones. But but before you respond, I'm going to take a quick break. That's right. They have to come back. They have to come back. <laughs> My guest is David Pounder, GAO's Director of IT Management Issues. I'm Jason Miller. I'm Tom Temin. And you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. And I'm joined by... Tom Temin, uh, glad to be with you this for this particular episode. Thank you, Tom. This is a special edition. We're talking with Dave Pounder, GAO's Director of IT Management Issues. This is an exit interview, a, a sad one, if you will, Dave. I always get a little uh, choked up when uh, good people leave government. I know you're not going far, but still, uh, uh, things will never be the same between us. Um, Jason's Wellen, right here in the studio. Exactly. Uh, right before break, you mentioned about the, the attracting more qualified people, and I know you stressed out the more word. What about the current set of CIOs? And I think that's a little concerning because sometimes we always want somebody better. We always are looking at the next person. How would you put a finer point on that comment of more qualified? I say that in the sense that I think there are many very, very, very qualified and dedicated folks in those positions. And I can go down on the list and name a bunch of them right now who are, who are serving today. What I hear is that there's some folks when they, if like private sector individuals who are looking to enter the government, they know that it is a position that's at the right level with the right authorities. And I'll give you a good example. IRS, when you had critical position pay and we attracted folks like a Richard Spires or a Terry Milholland, it really wasn't that the pay was that much higher, but that whole term of critical position pay that we're going to pay you a little bit more and nowhere near what those folks made in the private sector, 
you know, that came with the, everyone thought that came with the right authorities and the whole bit. And actually, the IRS uh, CIO position does have the right authorities. I mean, there's no doubt who's in charge of technology at the IRS. So th- that's where I just think the elevation of this, it's not a hit on the current CIOs because I respect many of them greatly, but I just think, you know, we could actually be in a position where we uh, attract very strong people back into the federal government if the positions are real CIO positions. I um, you know, if you look at Dana Deasy at DOD, I think it's great that they moved all those cloud initiatives under Mr. Deasy because I think he's very qualified and I think he could really help with those acquisitions and moving DOD in the right direction. And I wanted to follow up with the idea of what federal agencies might be able to learn from commercial CIOs who are still operating in commercial large companies. They say there's a lot to learn there, but uh, is your experience that there is, or or sometimes the government may be ahead in its management practices of the way industry does it? It's interesting. I do think if you look at, and I, I have a small sample of my experience in the private sector when you look at, you know, governance structures and going in front of boards and presenting and the whole bit, there was one great story that I like. So it was a federal, someone who's no longer in the federal government, but he was someone who was in private sector and government and multiple times. And he was at a large federated agency. And there was an IT governance board at this agency that you know he chaired. But he found out there were two other governance boards that he was not a part of. And he ended up started showing up, even though he wasn't an official member. And he found out that there were a lot of programs that had a fair amount of IT, and he contributed to managing that IT. You know, I think that kind of stuff where you're, you know, folks go into agencies and they have cultures and ways of doing things, and they step back and look at it and say, you know, am I covering all the IT at this department? Can I help in other areas? You know, programs that have a significant portion of IT that's not, you know, might not be even shown as part of their IT spend. That's where I think some of those private sector experiences can really be quite helpful. Dave, we've talked about FATAR a little bit. We've talked about CIO authorities. Are there other areas that you would point to to say during your 16-year career at GAO this time around where you've made a big difference or you'd point to that, hey, the work my office have done and my colleagues have done has really changed the look, whether it's, again, beyond the FATAR and CIO authorities piece? Associated with FATARA, Jason, I mean, we've done a lot of work on acquisitions over the years, you know, to build the right program management and governance. I think governance still is a big, big issue. But but, but I think the work on the operational side of the house, it wasn't that long ago we didn't do a lot of work looking at the O&M spend. And I think the legacy work that we already discussed but in particular, the data center and the portfolio stat work, the, da- the data center, I think, is a good news story. I think we, and, you know, you can debate, you know, 7,000 closed centers and $4 billion saved, and some of them were teeny little things, but they were also small little things like agriculture is a good example, that it wasn't so much we closed these big centers, but we had closets with a couple servers in it. And no one knew what was on those servers, and we found out. And I think the discovery there probably helped our security posture. So I look back on that data center work as being, you know, a a real good step in the right direction. Um, You know, I think some of the agencies, you know, have gotten out of the data center business, and and that's fine. If we can't get optimized centers, you know, let someone else do it for you. Maybe we shouldn't do that at some agencies and departments. So I, I, I think that's a good body of work that we contributed to. I think it goes back to, 
you know, folks like Vivek Kundra, who initiated that initiative and then, you know, was kind of rejuvenated with the new name and the Fatar work and everything. And I think the members of Congress, Jerry Connolly's, you know, really dogged the heck out of that initiative. And that's really helped. I'm surprised you said data centers, I'd be honest, because I know that you and GAO have gone around and around with OMB over the years over what the definition is and whether savings is more important or optimization is more important. And you continue to press for savings. And I think I hear a lot of CIOs say, yeah, but that's not realistic. I mean, I, I can optimize, but but savings, I'm not sure are there. It's more of a cost avoidance. How, how do you find that right balance in, in terms of how you have discussions with OMB and CIOs over the savings versus cost avoidance or just optimization piece? Well, I'm kind of in the camp, Jason, both. I mean, and I, and I have been for a while. I do think you can optimize the centers, and I think that's why, you know, when you look at the FATAR scorecard, it's savings and cost avoidance, but it, it also is about the optimization. But I will tell you this, uh, I'm continually surprised when folks say there aren't savings, and then all of a sudden you turn around and you find out, I'll point to a really good example at a FATAR scorecard hearing where they're with HHS, and, you know, they had a low score on their data center stuff, and the, all of a sudden what comes out at the hearing that there really was some somewhat significant savings on data centers, but they didn't want to report it because they thought the money was going to be taken away. And then, you know, the whole MGT working capital thing comes up with Chairman Hurd. So here's where I'm at on it. I, I do think we started the data center initiative primarily based, if you go back to the original memo from Vivek Kundra, it was the uh, utilization of our servers government-wide, 9 to 12% was the data. Now, how accurate, I don't know where exactly, I, but if that's anywhere near accurate, you know, where we got a target now of 65%, do I still think there's some unused capacity that you could save money and reduce our footprint and do those things? I, I do. I still think there's money in savings to be had. The talk of data centers and optimization is a product discussion in many ways, hardware and software, and yet a lot of the IT buying over the past several years has shifted to services. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, you know, how well you feel agencies are equipped culturally, technically, and in whole, uh, all the other ways of buying services on the scale that they used to buy hardware. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, that's a shift, but it's a good shift, right, Tom? I mean, when you buy services and this whole idea of, you know, getting just getting out of the entire owning it and building it and buying more, I think has been a move in the right direction. It, but it is a cultural shift, but it's a shift that needs to continue to, to occur. Do you get a sense as you look at some of the issues that, that you've worked on that, uh, I know Tom asked you in the beginning, are things getting better? Are we making progress? If there's one or two areas you'd point to that maybe GAO didn't spend enough time on or you think that GAO could have done more work in, does anything stand out to you? I do think the people side of it, the CIO authorities and the workforce issue, and I know we're doing a big job right now at GAO. We're in the middle of it looking at the workforce, including you know the cyber workforce and do we have the right you know, folks from architects and engineers to everyone else and gap assessments and the whole bit. If you don't have the right leadership and the right people, it's really tough to make as much progress as you want. So I think when you look at the CIO issue, and I think elevating the CIO role and the authorities of the CIO, a lot of good attention. You know, GAO is helping Congress with that, hopefully with the agencies, and I think that's getting better. But that's one thing I think over the years should, you know, could we have pushed the elevation of the CIO sooner in the workforce issue uh, even stronger. You know, it, the other thing, too, is we had cyber on our high-risk list since the, what, 1990s, I believe. 
And, you know, we did not put IT acquisitions and operations until uh, 2015. It was a couple months right after Fatara passed, right? And, you know, there, there's a – we debated internally 2011, 2013, should that IT acquisitions and operations gone on the high-risk list sooner? And I think a lot of times we talked ourselves out of it because, you know, there were some pretty solid plans and things going on at OMB, and it was like, well, let's see if these things equate to the right outcomes. And then we decided in 15 that there wasn't enough outcomes. Let's put it on. And it really then coincided with Fatara passing, and we weren't sure Fatara was going to pass. We made the decision before December uh, of that year when Fatara passed. So, you know, that that's one thing looking back on it. Should we have maybe even put the IT acquisition operations on the high risk sooner and, and push some of those? Because I do think our, you know, we do a lot of work here, but I do think those lists of 30 things on our high risk list do get more attention. So that, that's something that looking back over time in hindsight, could we have put it on sooner? Perhaps, perhaps. All right, Dave, let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can finish up our conversation. My guest is Dave Powner, GAO's Director of IT Management Issues. I'm Jason Miller. I'm Tom Temin. And you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. My guest is Dave Powner, the, I guess, outgoing or recently left GAO Director of IT Management Issues. I'm also joined by Tom Temin. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you, Tom. Now, Dave, uh, before break, we were talking about some of the things, some of the work you did at GAO, some of the things you enjoyed. We talked about data center consolidation. Let's jump into what are you going to miss about GAO or what are you not going to miss about the GAO maybe more broadly? Is there anything about this job that you're, you're maybe happy not to have to deal with anymore? Well, you know, clearly I'm going to miss the, the mission of GAO. I mean, I've been here twice, so I, you know, I thoroughly enjoy the mission, and I believe in the mission and the people here in the leadership. You know, Mr. Dodaro, uh, Valerie Melvin, who leads the IT team, a lot of great folks here that I have a lot of great respect for. So I'm, I'm going to miss that immensely. But in terms of what I'm not going to miss about uh, GAO, I'm not going to miss continuing resolutions and government shutdowns. That, that's so easy, though. Come on. <laughs> How about the how about the title of most GA reports that says progress made, more progress needed? Are you gonna hopefully you know not miss those type of ones? Uh, no, I, you know I've, I'm, I, I still think uh, you know we try to be balanced here at GAO, right, Jason? You know that, uh, and uh, I, I try to avoid those titles of progress, but more more remains, right? Um, but no, I, I I do think uh, what's really important at GAO is to be you know, constructive. In that second half, I know it's the brunt of some jokes, but uh, it's very important because the thing is you can point out the issues that are out there, but you also need to be very constructive on what remains. And hopefully the what remains is, you know, we continue to highlight the things that are most important for progress. Yeah, and I wanted to follow on that because, uh, you know, the many, many, many interviews I've done with GAO people across the domains, IT and military matters and construction and you name it, where the government struggles. And I've never found really what I would say an out-and-out pessimist or someone just down on an agency. There's always this constructive quality to what it is that you report on. Maybe it starts with Mr. Dodaro at the top, but what is the secret that keeps GAO going, people, GAO people going, 
in the sense that they never quite seem to get overly discouraged about what it is they're working on externally. Well, you know, I think, you know, do, are there reports that are written and recommendations made that you don't see progress? Sure, you know, that happens. But I do think you see progress and you see the focus on the recommendations and the constructive nature. And it's not that, you know, every report and every recommendation gets implemented. But, you know, there's times when you have some pretty decent wins and progress going forward. And, you know, and I look back on the passage of Fatara and highlighting these areas, and I know the scorecard gets debated. and Some people don't like this or don't like the calculation and the whole bit. But if you step back and say at the end of the day, you know, did Fatara and the scorecard and Congress's oversight improve it in certain areas? The answer is definitely. But, but And I do think, too, is – a key part of all this with the constructive nature, Congress has to play a very important role. Because I would say the progress that's made on our RECs, it jumps up significantly when there are hearings and congressional involvement with it. And I think if you look at the Oversight and Gov Reform Committee, you know, another good thing I think that's happening in Congress right now is if you look at the v, House VA Committee in the formulation of that IT subcommittee that they're going to dog you know, the electronic health record implementation. That That's great. That's great from a congressional point of view and will only help. And, and I think that's, to me, one of the big frustrations when I cover Congress. And, you know, we don't spend a ton of time up there, but the lack of knowledge about IT issues and acquisition issues, you could, you know, probably count on your hand, one hand, the number of, of lawmakers who really care about this stuff. Did that frustrate you as well? Did you ever kind of when you had to brief them and, and you heard questions about the Internet and the tubes and, and why, you know, why can't you just shut it down sometimes? I mean, you know, you get those kind of off-the-wall questions. Yeah, you get it. But, but, you know, what's interesting, Jason, I would say if you look back over the years, and I can go back, you know, with this, this latest stint in working with Congress, you know, uh, Tom Davis, uh, you know, worked with Tom Davis when he was up there. Adam Putnam, remember the Adam Putnam subcommittee up there? That was actually pretty solid stuff. And then, you know, if there was a time when we hopped over to the Senate side and Dr. Coburn and Tom Carper, that was pretty, very solid. So we've had these moments where there's been folks who focused on the cyber and IT issues and, and pretty significant. And, you know, now with the OGR folks, I think this has been the best ever, you know, with the four of them in a bipartisan way and everything. And I think that's what kind of, you know, aligning yourself with those members of Congress that really performed oversight and, you know, doing the work for them where you knew a lot was going to get done with hearings and the like. So there was some pretty good, over the years, it's been pretty solid. What advice are you giving to the folks that are coming behind you or if GAO decides to hire a new IT, you know, director of IT management issues, what kind of advice would you give to that person? Well, I think it's really being client focused again, because I, I do believe that the, a couple things. One is, you know, the IGs or GAO community, you know, if you go and just beat everyone up and you're not, you you got, you got to be constructive, and it's okay to be hard-hitting because I think when you're hard-hitting, they pay attention, then you can even be more constructive. So that's kind of been the, the combo that I've, I've always liked to have. Call it clean, don't sugarcoat it, but then be constructive. And I think you build credibility and folks trust you and they say, hey, this person knows what he's talking about, then you can even be more constructive. But the other thing is if you really want to make a difference, you got to align yourself with the people in Congress that can actually carry our reports and recommendations 
uh, further. And I even think when you look like Gene Dodaro testifies a lot on our high-risk reports and everything, and he's pretty clear saying that a lot of these big problems in government, you know, you really need some legislation behind it to perhaps, you know, get it off the dime where there's not legislation. And then I think I, I really do think, uh, and I know you made the comment about uh, Tom Davis, and I think the world, Tom, I do think what's re really been great with the current group at OGR has been that consistent follow-up with FATARA. When FATARA passed, does any, I don't think anyone ever envisioned we would have these six-month hearings you know, on the scorecard. And then even between the scorecard hearings, there's been some other hearings on IT acquisitions. I know there was one earlier this year that Margaret Weikert testified at. It's just been really consistent and thorough. And I think that's what's really made a difference. And I think that's the biggest difference between now and 1996 with Klinger Cohen. I think you'll see the mistakes. I think Klinger left shortly after, Cohen yep. left shortly after, the, those, that bill became law, and there was nobody there to kind of pick it up and run. And I know, as you mentioned, Tom Davis picked up the IT security stuff, the FISMA, the JISRA, I think it was called, Government yep. Information Security Reform Act or something. But um, you're right. No, Connolly and Heard both said this is not the end when the law got when it signed into law, but this is just the beginning. And I, I think that that's a huge difference. What kind of advice would you give maybe to agency CIOs, agencies, IT managers, based on your experience? You know, it's interesting with these agencies, and and, the, and when you you get to know many of the agencies, they have these deep rooted cultures, right? I mean, very very deep rooted. They all have different stories, and I I think the big thing is to really you know be bold and how they approach the management. If you go in and you just follow the same processes and the whole bit, like when I gave that example of the one CIO who attended other governance board meetings that he wasn't an official member of and found out there was all kinds of IT and he helped with, you know, the managing of the technology on those programs. You know, that's the kind of stuff we need. I look back on like what, you know, Richard McKinney did at DOT. I thought it was a great thing where he did his security scans and, uh, you know, made some progress with the different bureaus, Department of Transportation. I don't think FAA was included in that, but there were some good things. I think you need to do some things to shake it up. And I think it starts with make sure you're positioned appropriately. Max Everett, you know, what he did at DOE, elevating his position, I think he has better access to the labs. It's still a big challenge at DOE. But being that he reports to Secretary Perry, I think that's a lot better there. And make sure you're part of that executive team. I mean, you need to be on par with the CFOs and really have good relations with the chief acquisition officers. There was a couple teeny provisions when you read the words in FATARA, but, you know, approving budgets and approving IT contracts, it was really about improving the executive team there. And I think that's what's really important, because if you start with that, the positioning, and you're part of the executive team in a real seat at the table, then I think they can, you know, then carry it forward from there. But, you know, if you don't have that out of the gate, you're kind of starting from a position that's not really where you want to be. Sure, and don't be afraid to barge into meetings where you weren't invited. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, uh, I love the comment because I never got kicked out of a meeting. So it's a good thing, you know, to kind of say there that someone's like, hey, this person's adding a lot of value. And the other thing is I do think the whole TBM initiative, really understanding what we truly spend on IT and getting a handle on that, I think that that's going to actually help significantly. And I will say this. Uh, you know, Suzette Kent, the federal CIO, you know, her back financial background, you know, I think she, she could really help uh, the federal government out with her financial focus 
on that stuff and the implementation of TBM because that's where she's you know incredibly strong. I've sat down with her and talked about some of these things, and I think uh, you know that's an area that she could really really help uh, with federal IT. All right, great words of advice. So this has been a fascinating discussion. My guest has been Dave Pounder, the recently departed GAO Director of IT Management Issues. Dave, thank you so much for your time and for your federal service. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Tom. And. Thank you, Tom, for joining me today. Jason, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.